Make me a servant filled by your might, and may our labors shine with your light. Show us your footsteps and what we should do for now and forever. Make us like you. day and it's Mother's Day so happy Mother's Day all you moms <laughs> I, I already got a call in the middle uh, you know as church was starting from one of my girls so I'm sure we're gonna get calls all day so this is um, a day to worship the Lord we're so grateful for that does anybody have any announcements this morning living a peaceable life Lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness, 1 Timothy 2.2. As Christians, we aren't to isolate ourselves from the world in which we live. We are, to part, uh, we are part of the society, and we share in its difficulties, problems, and hopes. The Bible has much to say about our social responsibility. The Old Testament prophets condemned those who ignored the poor and exploited the weak. Not that, not that it's easy. As Christians, we know human society is affected by sin, and any effort to improve society will always be incomplete and imperfect. We will never build a utopia on earth, but we must do all that we can to alleviate suffering and to strike at the root of causes of injustice, hunger, and violence. We are to work for a peaceable life and human dignity for others. Why? Because God loves this suffering world. He does. He loves us. Jesus saw the crowds and was moved with compassion. And I think I will add to, the, to this uh, message that the world, even now, are, it's, it's as though we're in the pangs of labor awaiting his return. 
And sometimes those pangs of labor are pretty um, terrible. With that, I'll pray. Good. Father in heaven, we do praise and thank you for this brand new day. We thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to gather together in the precious and holy name of Jesus to exalt your name, Lord, together and to uh, be grateful for this day as we celebrate motherhood. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. And, ju and just like Habakkuk, we stand in all of you. <laughs> As for me, 
by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house at your holy temple. I will bow in reverence for you. Testament reading will be Psalm 2. It begins with a question. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds into pieces and cast away their courts from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Amen. Would you like to stand with me and we'll recite the Lord's Prayer together? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus to lead us in. 
Our New Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, who, you will, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be, be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I, when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and re reveal myself to each of them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We always thank you for being Lord of the universe, the cre creator of all. We know all things were created through your son. And Lord, you let us use them. You let us, you, you share up so abundantly with us. Lord, but you, that's something you taught us to share. You taught us to share back as well. So, Lord, the gifts we give today, we, may we do so freely, and may we do it in a way that is pleasing to you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Just 
Good morning. Show us slide one, please. <clears throat> when I was a child, I made up my own constellation. It was uh, several years before I discovered that uh, my constellation was actually part of Orion. To this day, I think mine's better. My constellation was a uh, connect-the-dot outline of King David kneeling in prayer. And my fascination with stars has continued. When I was a teenager, I'd spend a lot of time looking up at the night sky, studying the stars. Did you? I'd often go out on a summer night and sit on the hood of the family car it was typically parked on the curb and had a magnificent view of the heavens. I would lean back against the windshield, look up, and contemplate the vastness of space and ask myself, how can it be a God this big wants anything to do with me? Sadly, contemplating the night sky is something we tend to outgrow. Last week, I asked you if you are happy living in the last days. I quoted you a scripture in which Jesus said, Many a prophet and righteous person long to see what you see and did not see it. And here we are, myriad generations later, living in the time when Jesus will return. Are we happy about that? Or are we dreading the days of Noah? In the Gospel of John, Jesus rebuked a crowd of Jews who challenged his authority. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. How did Abraham see the day of Christ? By faith. God told Abraham, count the stars. Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. In other words, if you can count the stars, Abraham, that's how many times over I'm going to bless you. The stars Abraham saw are the same stars we see today. Perhaps a few have burned out. But the only thing more constant than the stars is the God who made them. We live in a day when satellite cameras relay back to Earth marvelous photos of deep space. And we know more about the cosmos than Abraham could have dreamed or imagined. And the word that God gave Abraham is the same word that became flesh and blood and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only Son of the Father. Abraham, the prophets, the apostles, and all the righteous people of the past would have rejoiced to live in this day. But what about us? Are we rejoicing or are we dubious and worried? Maybe we need to spend more time looking up at the night sky. Maybe we need to remind ourselves that he who created the stars is sovereign over all. Prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, that you would reveal yourself to us in new and marvelous ways this morning. That through your Holy Spirit, you would speak directly to our hearts. Make it so, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Slide two, please. My sermon title this morning is Women of the Covenant, or Women's Covenant Role from Ancient Times Till Now. My text is John 2, 1 through 5. 
Last week we studied the Trinity. Did you know there are those who believe that God the Father and Holy Spirit Mother conceived Jesus? In other words, that the Holy Spirit is a she and Jesus is their offspring. If that were true, John 1.1 would read much differently. And where would the Virgin Mary figure in? A surrogate mother, perhaps? Did you see the movie The Shack? Did you read the book? Well, for those of you who uh, are not familiar with it, it, it's really a rather good book. Um, the only problem with it is it tends to lean to universalism. All dogs go to heaven. But in the, uh, <clears throat> in the book, uh, a father loses his young daughter. Actually, he's out on a camping trip, and she is kidnapped. And uh, he goes on a trek to find her. He's convinced that she is in the forest. As he uh, searches the forest, he uh, is weary. He's searched all day long and wants to find some place to rest. And he sees a cabin in the distance and it appears the lights are on and smoke is in the fireplace. And he uh, knocks on the door and is met by a 300-pound black woman. And uh, make a long story short, she reveals herself to him as God. And eventually he uh, bumps into the Holy Spirit, who is a, a young Asian woman. And uh, the one thing about the uh, scenario I can buy is Jesus appears to him in a uh, flannel shirt and blue jeans. That much I could buy. And although I found the portrayal of the Holy Spirit as a young Asian woman, I, uh, yeah, couldn't buy much of the rest of it, but it was interesting. Do I see the characteristics of God as feminine? Some of those characteristics, yes. My mother had those characteristics, but she was not the Almighty. But uh, God is a 300-pound black woman. I, that was a stretch for me. How could God not have a feminine side? He created femininity. How could he not know all about what we men find so fascinating about women? And what did Adam say when he first saw Eve? Genesis 2.23 the first praise song recorded in Scripture. Adam didn't just uh, quote some poetry. He sang, At last my love has come along, my lonely days are over, and life is like a song. You thought uh, Eddie James sang that first. No, it was Adam. Slide three, please. Look it up. From the New Living Testament, it says, Adam exclaimed, at last. This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. The Hebrew word translated into English as exclaimed is amer. It is the primitive root and typically used with great latitude. So yes, we can assume Adam sang. Compare Zephaniah 3.17. He will rejoice over you with singing. Adam rejoiced over Eve. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is certainly the face of the Almighty we find most attractive. But I find nothing in Scripture to indicate that any person of the Godhead is a she. And all the feminists rail at this, I'm sure, but God is who he is. He is who he says he is, and really that's all we need to know. The pronoun he chooses for himself is 
he. But seriously, since it's Mother's Day, I wanted to expound on God's inclusion of women in all that he does. Hagar knew him as Jehovah El Roy, the God who sees me. And he has ever watched over every mother, daughter, wife, widow and orphan. And he always will. I won't go all the way back to Eve other than to touch on the term that God uses for her in Genesis 2. Help meet. The word has always fascinated me. And it has a much deeper meaning than we think. The New King James translates Genesis 2.8... I will make him, Adam, a helper comparable to him. Feminist rejoice. Comparable. Not like him, but comparable. When you study the etymology of the word helpmeet, you come up with the Hebrew word Isaiah, which translated into King James English is succor. S-U-C-C-O-R, which means to render help in times of danger, difficulty, and stress. In other words, lifesaver. Ask any man who's truly in love with his wife whether or not she is a lifesaver to him. And uh, if he's honest and at least smart, he will say yes indeed. Okay, man, time for an amen. So let's look at some of the women of the Bible who were lifesavers. They weren't always wives and mothers, but they were certainly lifesavers. Miriam, the sister of Moses. The Talmud names her as one of the seven major female prophets of Israel. According to the Midrash, Moses taught the men of Israel the Torah. Miriam taught the women. Deborah, the first female judge of Israel, equal to her male counterparts, Samson and Gideon. Queen Esther, by God's grace, she single-handedly prevented the genocide of the Israelites during the time of their exile to Persia. Abigail, my favorite woman in all the Bible. Talk about a lifesaver. David certainly saw her as such. She was married to a fool. A lot of women suffer this misfortune. Her husband's name in Hebrew, Nabal, literally means fool. And he uh, lived up to his namesake. Let me recount her story for you. David is hiding from Saul and he and his men have chosen sanctuary in the nearby hills surrounding Nabal's pastures and wheat fields. On several occasions, David's men have chased off marauders who tried to steal Nabal's livestock. So when shearing season comes along and a portion of the flock is butchered for meat, David sends an emissary to ask Nabal, hey, can we share in this festival? Can we share of your profit and produce? Nabal offers a scathing rebuke and insults David's emissaries and calls them a band of outlaws and chases them away. This infuriates David, straps on his sword and leads a war party of 400 men to wipe Nabal out. Abigail, Nabal's wife, meets David en route. And she blocks the road with donkeys, many donkeys, loaded down with bread, meat, wine, roasted grain, and fig cakes. And she begs David to cool his jets. You know the rest of the story. Nabal dies of a stroke when he finds out how close he came to being slaughtered. And do you remember what Abigail said to David to assuage his anger? Slide four, please. From 1 Samuel 25, verses 28 through 31, the Lord will surely reward you with lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles. 
and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God. But he... But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this blemish be on your record. How does she know all this? How does she know what God has promised him? She's prophesying. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. David certainly remembered her. He married her. She made a lasting impression. Let me venture into a sidebar here. How does God view women? Biblically, from the Bible, how does God view women? I remember the beginnings of the feminist movement in the early 70s. Those who decried Christianity in general and the Apostle Paul in particular as chauvinistic. Citing that Paul forbid women to speak in church, insisted they wear a covering on their head and forbid them to have any substantial involvement in the church. Chauvinist. But I never heard anyone who was learned accused Jesus of such. Women were a vital part of his ministry and involved in everything he did. To even hint that Jesus was not and is not the champion of women. You would have to be grossly misinformed or ignorant of Scripture. Jesus rejected the traditions of the day. He installed women in his entourage of disciples. Very taboo. In first century Israel, you didn't travel with anyone who wasn't your wife. But who were the central players at Jesus' crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, his female disciples? And where were the men? Hiding. But if you're going to talk about women of the covenant, uh, especially on Mother's Day, we simply cannot overlook Mary the mother of Jesus. Although Mary Magdalene gets more ink in Scripture, Mary, the mother of Jesus, has always fascinated me. I love Mel Gibson's take on that relationship. If you remember from The Passion of the Christ, he devoted two or three scenes to that relationship. One that stands out to me is Mother Mary chasing after Jesus when he's maybe five, six years old, and he stumbles and scrapes the knee. She bandages up his knee and cares for him. But we get a keen insight into the relationship between Jesus and his mother at the wedding in Cana. Thus our text this morning. And I think most people miss this. And I know I've preached this before, but it's worthy of reprise. Personally, I think what Jesus does for his mother at the wedding at Cana, fasten your seatbelts, I believe it's equal to the miracle of God making the sun stand still in the sky for Joshua. Do you remember that story? God added hours of sunlight to the day so Israel's army could avenge themselves on the Amorites. God made the sun stand still in the sky. For hours. Jesus and his disciples have walked 90 miles from Jericho in order to attend the wedding in Cana. If you walk 90 miles to a wedding, you really want to be there. We can assume this was the wedding of a friend of the family. Some historians believe it was the wedding of John the Beloved. Slide five, please. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. 
My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. That's confidence. That's faith. I don't believe Mother Mary is here asking or even considering that Jesus will perform a miracle. There are apocryphal accounts of Jesus healing people even when he was a child. But those accounts have not been canonized in the scripture yet. I don't doubt that. Even so, Mary knows who Jesus is. She remembers all that the archangel told her. Therefore, she has viewed Jesus' life from birth to adulthood as Messiah, the promised one. She knows what he can do. She knows what he has been sent to do. Still, I don't think she's expecting a miracle. She simply knows that he has never in his life been stumped for an answer or stumped for a solution to a problem. I think if she expected anything, it might have been for him to dispatch his disciples to town to buy more wine. What she knew for sure was that Jesus could remedy any problem. But pay close attention to Jesus' answer. My time has not yet come. What does this mean? It means the Godhead had not planned on this particular occasion to be Jesus' first miracle. That was not the plan the Trinity had plotted out even before time even before they created the cosmos. Are you beginning to see why I compare the wedding at Cana to Joshua's son standing still? Think about that, though. Did God stop the rotation of the earth? Or did he cause the sun to move and follow the earth? Boggles the mind. I believe that Mary does not realize, nor anyone else, other than the Father and the Spirit, that Jesus is going to scrap the divine timeline and create an alternate timeline just because his mother asked for help. So what's Jesus really saying here? He's saying, Mother, this was not the plan. This is not my time. This is not the time my father had chosen for me to reveal myself as miracle-working God in the flesh. Consider that Jesus is all man and all God. The man in the God-man has every emotion that you and I have. And his mother has given him a wink and a smile and manifested complete faith. And if you're the son of God in the flesh, turning water into wine is no more difficult than making the sun stand still. It's a snap of your finger. Only a slight change of plans. Only a wrinkle in time. The man in the God-man sees an opportunity to bless his mother and greatly impact the faith of his disciples. And the Trinity instantly decides it's time to move that divine timeline forward with a miracle. And after the water jugs have been turned to wine, what do you think Jesus says to his mother? We don't have that recorded, but I think he said, uh, Mother, count the stars. That's how much I love you. Watch the sun stand still in the sky. That's how much I love you. Mother, your God is also your son. And he has just moved heaven and earth for you. That's how much I love you. Why is it when this very same Jesus says to us, anything you ask in my name, anything according to my will, I will do it. Why do we doubt? Why is this so difficult for us to believe? We're not his mother, but we are his brothers and sisters. Anything you ask according to my will, I will do it. 
No one had greater faith in Jesus than his mother. First time she held him in her arms, she knew she was looking at the face of God. She knew she was not only holding her son, but her Savior and her King. She pondered this every day of his life. And at the cross, she remembered what the prophet Simeon said to her. She remembered his prophecy. This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. There's a cavalcade of female saints spanning more than 4,000 years. In the New Testament, Jesus was aided in his ministry by Mary Magdalene, Mary the wife of Cleopas, Joanna, Salome. St. Paul was aided in his ministry by Phoebe, Chloe, Euodia, and Sentaichi. Slide six, please. And in the Middle Ages, you have Teresa of Avila. Ever heard of her? Teresa of Avila's writings are the subject of the book Mansions of the Heart by Thomas Ashbrook, which explores her treatise on the seven stages of spiritual maturity. It's a must read if you haven't read it. Teresa was a Spanish nun who witnessed firsthand the atrocities of the Spanish Inquisition. And rather than flee the church and become a Protestant, she decided to stay in the church and reform it. That was called the Catholic Reformation. Shortly after becoming a Carmelite nun, Teresa almost died of malaria. After that, she said she did not pray for 15 years. Sometimes it's good to be mad at God. Sometimes it's good to be mad at God. You can learn a lot. Teresa of Avila is considered one of the best writers ever on the subject of prayer and a life devoted to Christ. And what about the covenant women of this age? The list is long, but a few of my favorites are Corrie Ten Boom, Ruth Graham, Mother Teresa, and Elizabeth Elliot. Slide seven, please. When I was in seminary, I happened upon the diaries of Jim Elliot. I've never been so humbled in my life, before or since. As I read Elliot's passion for the lost and his passion to live in complete obedience to the will of God, I was devastated to think how flagging was my devotion to Christ. Let me tell you the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. The Aldani are a tribe of Indians who lived in the rainforest of eastern Ecuador. Even the neighboring tribes called them savages. On January 8, 1956, Jim Elliot and four other missionaries were attacked and killed by the Aldani warriors. Their bodies were thrown into the nearby Curday River. Elliot and his fellow missionaries had previously flown over the Wadani village in their Piper aircraft, broadcasting friendly messages on a loudspeaker and dropping gifts from their plane. After several months of this, they built a base camp a short distance from the village and were subsequently visited by two Wa'adani tribesmen, one of whom they gave an airplane ride to. Encouraged by the friendly encounter, the five missionaries planned to visit the village the next day. But a group of ten Wa'adani warriors made a preemptive attack, and all five missionaries were killed. Jim Elliott was buried in the camp where he was killed. Elizabeth Howard Elliott met Jim while they were both enrolled in Wheaton College. They married on the mission field in Ecuador. 
And while the couple evangelized the Quechua Indians near Quito, Ecuador, their daughter Valerie was born February 27, 1955. Shortly after her husband's death, Elizabeth gained access to the Wa'adani tribe and was able to lead the man who killed her husband to faith in Jesus Christ. Her daughter was three years old at this time. With her daughter at her side, Elizabeth spent the next two years evangelizing the Wa'adani tribe. She offered over th authored over 30 books on faith and God's provision, two of which detailed her life among the Ecuadorian Indians. She aided in devising an alphabet for the Wa'adani and translated the Bible into their language. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot inspired an entire generation of evangelical missionaries. I was happy to be raised in a missionary church. And uh, in seminary, I learned all about Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. They are among the most famous missionaries of the 20th century. Slide eight, please. I will end this morning with Jim Elliot's most famous quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. While our world crumbles around our feet and we witness the chaos, the rage, the turmoil of this age, let us keep our eye on the prize. Let us remember the heroes of faith. They were no different than us. They did not have unshakable faith. They just simply kept their eyes on the prize. So let us freely give what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. Let us pray. Father God, I think of that verse that says we are surrounded by a crowd of witnesses. I believe we translate that verse wrong. I believe we are the ones who are in the stadium looking down at the parade of witnesses. Witnessing their faith through the ages. Courageous faith. Martyrs. We get to look down on the field from the uh, cheap seats and thank you for their lives of faith thank you for the encouragement that we find in their life stories help us Lord keep our eyes on the prize help us count the cost but keep our eyes on the prize give us your courage your faith your strength in Jesus name Amen. Let me offer you a, a spoiler alert. Next week we start our study in the book of Acts. We'll start with uh, chapter 1. The 18th, what is that, this Thursday, is uh, typically when the ascension is celebrated, but uh, we're among those Protestants who move the Ascension to the following Sunday, which will be next week. So next week we will celebrate the Ascension and commence our study in Acts. Blessings to you all. Thank you.
Go in peace.